This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about Chuck E. Cheese. Yes. Or Chuck E. Cheeses, as it is more properly known. It's a possessive noun. (laughs) Yeah, let's get that out of the way right out front. Yeah. Somehow this comes up a lot at our office. (laughs) It's one of those mysteries of conversation. I'd say at least once a week. Yeah. I don't know how. And we haven't done any restaurant episodes yet here on Food Stuff, which is a a theme that we, you know, have been planning on covering. Chuck E. Cheese is a restaurant. Yeah. It serves food. It does, for sure. Have you ever been to a Chuck E. Cheese, Lauren? Yeah. I mean, clearly, uh, clearly. uh, Obviously. (laughs) Not, well, not in like like 25 years, at least. Um, I remember going in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. I went for... My ninth birthday. Oh. And I, there was this purple unicorn prize I really wanted. Yeah. And I'm sure if I just bought it from a grocery <laughs> store, it was probably maybe, maybe a dollar, probably uh-huh. less. But I spent at least $20 on on the, tokens to get to tickets get, to, to get the prize. Okay. If, if you out there in podcast land have never been to a Chuck E. Cheese or never heard of one and are very confused about what's going on, mm-hmm. let's talk about what it is. Yes. Let's do that. Uh-huh. Oh, man. The easier question is, what isn't it? Because it's a restaurant. It's an arcade. It's a midway. There are theatrics involved. Chuck E. Cheese's is a chain of dining and entertainment centers aimed at families with young children. 
uh, like ages 2 to 12 or thereabouts. Uh, Chuck E. Cheese's, where a kid can be a kid. That's the saying. Uh-huh. Um, that's been their saying for like 40 years. It's their 40th anniversary this year, Whoa, by the way. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, we're old. It's great. Um, <laughs> uh, Chuck E. Cheese's generally feature uh, video game cabinets, arcade games that let you uh, collect tickets to exchange for prizes. Yes. And uh, pizza, alcoholic beverages for the adults, and some kind of live entertainment. Or, as the case may be, mechanical entertainment. Mm -hmm. More on that in a moment. And they do focus on birthday parties and other, like, multifamily gathering kind of situations. Yeah. And the live entertainment part is is really what catapulted this concept to legendary status, because otherwise you've just got an indoor midway. But the the entertainment involves performers in in walk-around costumes, which is an entertainment industry term for those full-body plush costumes, you know, like the kind that Disney uh, uses to let Mickey Mouse actually walk physically around their parks and give kids hugs and or their very first existential crisis. Yes. (laughs) That kind of costume. Okay. Um, And originally, Chuck E. Cheese's had a full band of life-size robotic characters that would act out verbal skits and play music. Yes, that is what I remember. And this is the, it terrified me when I was a child. Did it really? I was on the borderline of thinking that animatronics was okay, and that mm-hmm. was one of the ones where I was like, well... It sent you over the edge. I am not happy. You're, you were not okay with that. I was not, I was not pleased. I don't think I, I don't, I don't think I completely, like, broke down. But well, that's good. I remember being, like, I was like... I'm gonna go play some uh, ski ball. Do something else other than watch this. Unfold. Literally anything else. Yes. Yes. Although they started with just one location in San Jose in the late 1970s, there are now 606 locations spread throughout the United States and Middle and South America, plus the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia. Yes, you can visit a Chuck E. Cheese in Mecca. Wow. Go to pray, stay to play. Yep. <laughs> Is that what they say over there? Not that no, I'm personally aware of, but if any marketing teams want to get in touch with me, we'll have our contact information at the end of the show. Yeah. Uh, they, they employ about 18,000 people worldwide and made just a hair under a billion dang dollars in revenue in 2016. Wow. According to Chief Marketing Officer Michael Hartman, 90% of families who live within 15 miles of a Chuck E. Cheese's and have a child between the ages of three and eight have visited at least once, and half of those families have visited in the past year. Chuck E. Cheese is doing a lot better than I thought it would be currently. I know, right? It's still, it, it is a pervasive cultural phenomenon. Yes. And let's talk about how it became to be yes. a pervasive cultural phenomenon. Chuck E. Cheese was the brainchild of Nolan Bushnell, who also happens to be the co-founder of Atari. Like Atari, Atari. Yeah, like the, the video, video game company. I, yeah. yeah. He originally started um, Chuck E. Cheese. He built this game called Pong, an arcade game called Pong. Uh-huh. You may also be familiar with. Yes. And he wanted a place where people could go play it and he could make money off of it. Yeah, like a, like a vertical integration thing because he was yeah. going, you know – we're selling the cabinets. So in 1977, while working at Atari, um, Bushnell got the idea that if he could give these games a home, he could make a lot more money because at the time, you would sell a coin-operated arcade game for 1500 to 2000 
Mm-hmm. Which and is a nice chunk of change. Yeah. However. But over the lifetime, it goes on to make fifteen to $20,000. Yeah. Which is way more. Yeah. So he wanted a slice of that. And uh, speaking of wanting a slice of that, he came up with the concept for the restaurant with an arcade attached as a way to avoid competition from typical straight-up arcades. And since pizza is relatively simple, fast, and pretty much universally revered, he decided to make it a pizza place. Yeah. Yeah. Other innovations, by the way, that uh, that Nolan Bushnell made include – one of uh, Steve Jobs' first professional gigs uh, yep. in developing the game Breakout. Mm-hmm. In the 70s. And uh, uh, side note, I'm very happy that this episode gave me the opportunity to explore uh, the video game crash of 1983, a.k.a. the Atari Shock. Oh, oh, it's great. There's definitely an episode about that over on Tech Stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that you can use your Googles to to find that one. Um, but okay, let's let's get back to those singing animatronics. How did that happen? Yeah, uh, this kind of bizarre thing came about actually with the parents in mind. What? Yeah, they were meant for the parents. So Bushnell knew that kids could be very um, very persuasive. <laughs> Conniving, might you say? (laughs) You might say that when they're trying to convince their parents to do something that they wanted to do. So Bushnell knew that an arcade means spending money and parents are kind of trying to avoid that. Sure. So he thought if if he had a free robot band, (laughs) it was free with food purchase – then it would it would be more of a sell. It'd be an easier sell. It would be like entertain like dinner and a and, and a and show. A show. And then guess what, mom and dad? There are all these games here. Oh, this arcade. And also beer. Yeah, you like beer. You do like beer. Have have a beer, will you? And I can't really recall the dialogue of this show, but Bushnell claims it worked on two levels for adults <laughs> and children, and that it was edgy. Uh, unfortunately, I was unable to find any footage of this, but I, I, I believe that that probably is true. Sure. Uh, like, like a Muppets kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He drew inspiration from a place called Pizza and Pipes, where large crowds would gather to eat pizza and watch someone play an organ. And he was like, uh, they're just coming to see this organ <laughs> show and getting pizza. I can do that. I can do better. Yeah. And then he saw the animatronics at the Tiki Room at Disneyland, and that gave him the idea to just cut the cost of having to pay for a performer and get a... A robotic band? Yeah. Because that's clearly cheaper than paying a human person. In his mind, and probably in the long run. (laughs) And at the time, this project was known as Codename Coyote Pizza. When it was on its way to being greenlit... Bushnell attended the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions, or IAPA, in Orlando. Yapa. (laughs) I'm sure that's, yeah, Yapa. He stumbled across a group selling mascot outfits, and they just so happened to have the perfect coyote mascot. Because if you couldn't tell by the code name, the original idea was for a coyote mascot. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bushnell purchased the outfit and sent it back to his team so they could get about started robotifying it. And when Bushnell had returned and he asked about the progress report on this animatronic coyote, 
the engineers were confused and they told him, well, they didn't receive a coyote costume, but they had instead received a rat. Oh. But how did that mix up happen? Who knows? But it changed the course of this whole thing. Bushnell was unfazed. He said, no problem. We'll call it Rick Rat's Pizza instead. Well, <laughs> as you can imagine, due to the whole people kind of being grossed out by rats, especially near their food, even before Pizza Rat, uh, the public relations firm associated with this was not really on board with Rick Rat's Pizza. Uh, so they proposed a name change. A week or so later, they countered with Chuck E. Cheese. And the E stands for entertainment, by the way. Yeah. And and I think that they, they chose this name based on the, the fact that it forces your face to smile like three times in while you're saying it. Do, do it with me, friends. Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, it's terrible. It's like it's like the Joker venom. Yeah. I mean, but but great. They they were like it's happiness in syllables. Go. That's crazy that there are people paid to think about that and thought of that. Yeah. Nuts. Well, with the name decided upon and the animatronics built, the first Chuck E. Cheese opened in San Jose, California in May of 1977. The original cast of animatronics included Chuck E. Cheese, Krusty the Cat, (laughs) (laughs) who was replaced by Mr. Munch after only a year, Pasquale the Sing Chef on drums, the dog Jasper T. Jowls, and the Warblets. Who could forget the Warblets? Um, it was known after Mr. Munch joined as Munch's Make-Believe Band. Oh. And many characters would be tested throughout the years, including an Elvis impersonator, um, multiple husband-having former cabaret star and hippo, Dolly Dimples. I think I remember Dolly. I don't remember Dolly. I, yeah, I don't remember really anybody but Chuck E. Cheese. I think like seven-year-old me was like, what kind of low-rent Miss Piggy is this? <laughs> Some shade on Dolly the Hippo coming from a young Lauren. <laughs> um, and this brings us to a quick bonus note about animatronic programming at the time. The skits were programmed by Mike Hatcher, who wrote the authoring system and was also a skilled puppeteer and screenwriter. Each minute of movement took three hours of programming, with 200 movements happening simultaneously during each show. And he did this during the graveyard shift by watching a tape and programming each movement individually. Wow. And on top of that, the skit changed monthly, you know. Keep things fresh. Keep people coming. Sure. Got to come back for new see the new Chuck show. Cheeses. Yeah. New joke that works on two levels will we get this week. <laughs> and extra bonus fact, the animatronics were pneumatic. Ah. Yeah. Huh. Powerful stuff. Yes. And going back to that, the show kind of being aimed towards adult thing, the first rendition of Chuck E. Cheese was a bit less kid-friendly. If you look through the old Chuck E. Cheese comic books, and yes, there are comic books, he smoked cigars, he had a thick New Jersey accent, and he was kind of a jerk. He was, like, really <laughs> mean. You should look at these pictures. It's – he he looks like just the worst alcoholic. Oh. He's got huge bags under his eyes. His nose is drooping. Oh, no. Cigar and all the smoke around him. Oh, 
Chucky, what are you doing? Take care of yourself, buddy. The kids are watching. <laughs> yeah, uh, they they changed that relatively quickly. But uh, Chucky's uh, questionable moral practices were not the uh, not the end of the drama for this very bizarre little business. Um, or little ain't little at all, is it? Nope. Um, and we'll get into some more of that right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Mm -hmm. So about a year after that first San Jose location opened, Warner, the company that you probably heard of, purchased Atari from Bushnell. But they didn't really want to have anything to do with a pizza arcade rat-themed thing. Weird. Yeah, I don't know what was wrong with them. Bushnell, uh, they told him to sell it. And wouldn't you know who bought it but Bushnell? (laughs) He sold it to himself. He sold it to himself. And (laughs) he was not going to let it go. At the time, it was more of a side project for him because he remained on as the CEO of Atari. But um, there were some tensions between Warner and Bushnell. And by the time they decided they'd had enough of each other and split ways, Bushnell had opened 250 Chuck E. Cheese's and they were up and running throughout the United States. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he was pretty, pretty busy along the side making sure that this was probably going to succeed. Yeah. Yes. And then even more drama, Bushnell sought financial backing from the chairman of Brock Hotel Corporation, Bob Brock. And while researching some improvements he could make as he expanded Chuck E. Cheese, uh, Brock, 
Um, he was going to expand them into 16 states. He or 16 new states. 16 new states. Yeah. Yes, thank you. He came across an animatronic engineer named Aaron Fetcher. Fetcher's animatronics worked a little more smoothly than the current ones in use at Chuck E. Cheese. Apparently, they actually had facial expressions that changed. My goodness. Just t- tumbling you further and further into the uncanny valley. Lovely. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> we all love that, don't we? So Brock offered to buy them from Fetcher. But apparently, they were very far superior than what Chuck E. Cheese had going on because when Fetcher turned down Brock's offer... Brock instead went to business with Fetcher. Oh. Yeah, opening a competing restaurant arcade named Showbiz Pizza Place. Ah. Uh, yeah. Intrigue. I know. There's pizza intrigue. <laughs> pizza rat intrigue. This is crazy. <laughs> Their target was slightly different with the band Rock a Fire Explosion that played music more appealing for an older crowd and... Someone in her office who works in her office, Ramsey, tells me that there's a documentary about this. Oh. Yeah. I haven't had the chance to watch it, but I will absolutely seek it out. Yeah, yeah. Ch- check it out and let us know what you think. Yeah. And as you can imagine, Chuck E. Cheese wasn't happy about this. <laughs> Probably Bushnell, the company. In <laughs> general. Know. Yes. Yeah. Um, so they sued Showbiz Pizza Place. Eventually reaching a settlement that obligated Showbiz Pizza Place to pay out some of its profits to Chuck E. Cheese over a 14-year period. Oof. Yeah. And all the while this is going on, Chuck E. Cheese is building a pretty solid rep, yeah. a reputation. In a 1981 InfoWorld article written by Scott Mace, he described Chuck E. Cheese as, quote, a whirling combination of garish lights and nonstop electronic noise that is quite unlike any other pizza parlor or video game arcade. It is part Star Wars, part Disneyland, and part social phenomena. Huh. Yeah. But despite this, shall we say, praise <laughs> and the legal win, Chuck E. Cheese went bankrupt in 1984 and Showbiz took it over. What? I know. Ah. They combined the two companies into Showbiz Pizza Time, Inc. Bushnell, he abandoned ship just before bankruptcy. Ooh. And he walked away with $35 million, And I couldn't oh. find, like, he would he won't talk about it, really. Or at least in any interview I could find. He won't talk about exactly what happened. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But Chuck E. Cheese, the character, was too popular to kill off. So Showbiz's Billy Bob is very similar to Chuck E. Cheese. Um, and Chuck E. G's appeared in As Together as Friendly Competition. Who? Yeah. Lies. I know. <laughs> it's so, there's so much drama here. <laughs> and when Fetcher, the, the animatronics guy left, he took his Rock of Fire explosion creations with him, but the, he only took the outside, like the suits. So they, they used the actual, like, skeleton, the animatronic skeletons. And they put Chuck E. Cheese costumes on them. Yeah. So, oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. By oh, 19- that's not creepy at all. I know. Don't think about it too hard. Ugh. By 1992, all locations had been rebranded as Chuck E. Cheese. Huh. Yeah. And side note, in the same vein type of restaurant, Dave & Buster's opened its first location in 1982. And other side note, Chuck E. Cheese went international in 1980 under the name Charlie Cheese in Australia. And that name change thing was due to the Australian Association of Chuck with Vomit. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want people 
associating that with your restaurant? Probably not, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, other, other, other side note, uh, the company went public in 1989 and then would go on to change its name to CEC, Chuck E. Cheese Entertainment, in 1998. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1999, the company produced a direct-to-video movie. It was called Chuck E. Cheese in the Galaxy 5000. Okay. It mostly only played in, in Chuck E. Cheese locations, but it's apparently about a young boy who needs to raise money to fix his family's tractor. So the whole animal crew gets together and enters an intergalactic race on the planet Orion. Of course. Because that's the most logical Way to raise like 50 grand for a tractor. That's definitely what I would have done. I, <laughs> it's the very first thing I would have thought of. Yes. In 2012, Chuck E received a makeover and a species change. He's a mouse now. What? Yeah. Oh. He's also younger and slimmer looking. Um, he, <laughs> he's some, for, for some reason lost the backwards baseball cap and the elbow pads that he always wore despite the fact that he was never like skateboarding or rollerblading. No, he had elbow he pads. He definitely had elbow pads for a while there. Okay. Um, he now wears Chuck Taylors, oh, like so the kids cool. do. Yeah. yeah uh-huh. And he sometimes carries a guitar. Oh, really cool. And he's voiced by the frontman of Bowling for Soup. <laughs> oh, uh, I never saw that coming. I, things that I did not dream I would get to say into a microphone ever. Um, I know. Yeah, uh, J- Jarrett Reddick, uh, he he replaced the decade-long voice actor Duncan Brannon in 2012. And there was a little bit of drama about that, too, because apparently Brannon was just about the last person to know about the Switch. Like, a fan sent a video with oh, the new no. actor to Brannon. And he was... He, he, like, released a press release about how upset he was about the situation. That, yeah, that would be pretty upsetting. In early 2014, uh, the company was was floundering a little bit again, and CEC Entertainment was bought by this private holding company called Apollo for $1.3 billion. Later in 2014, um, the company would buy a, a pizza chain called Peter Piper Pizza, which is a family restaurant concept with playgrounds and arcades attached, sort of like the, the inverse of Chuck E. Cheese. Right. I think Apollo is trying to kind of expand its... Uh, it's, it's holding in this company. Mm-hmm. And as of 2017, there have been reports that Apollo is looking to either open the business to public trading again with an IPO sometime this year or to sell the chain for $2 billion. They have turned the chain's profits around in the time that they've owned it. Um, these entertainment centers, <laughs> uh, had been operating at, at a loss for a couple of years, but, um, but now they're, they're, they're doing, they're doing some, some, some millions in profit every quarter these days. So, wow. Yeah. Pretty impressive. This is a section we had to come back and add in because right after we recorded our episode on Chuck E. Cheese, big Chuck E. Cheese news. Yeah, I, we apparently tapped into some kind of Chuck E. Cheese zeitgeist. We did. We could feel that this was an important topic of feel the, the moment. Change brewing. Yeah. Um. So Chuck E. Cheese, uh, as of as of August of 2017, is working on phasing out their animatronics. No. No more Pizza Time players. No, and um, the reason they gave for this is that kids are too discerning these days. Yeah, their expectations of technology are too high, and that therefore even the best of animatronics are going to be slightly disappointing. Wow. Yeesh. Uh, but Tom Leverton, uh, the, the, the company's CEO, uh, reported that many people have like bought used animatronics and set them up in their own homes and garages to like, and like, 
keyed them around to play music again. That's... So, so there's a second life. There is. Uh, when I was searching this, a lot of the top results were like auctioning off. Oh wow! Yeah, which is kind of both endearing and terrifying. I don't know how I would feel if I went to someone's house and they had that in their garage. I would need to know that before I arrived. Yes, I would need a warning. Yeah. I also <laughs> found a hilarious eulogy written by a musician, and it was like you didn't know at first it was about Chuck E. Oh my goodness! <laughs> like I know how hard it is to make it in the entertainment business. But this man whose middle name was entertainment couldn't make it, then how will I? It was great. It was great. Wow. They're also um, phasing in digital kiosk so that you don't have to interact with a person at all. You just say, I want a pizza and um, a Coke or whatever beverage you'd prefer. And this many dollars time, a playing time on your card. Huh. And that's it. Okay. So, so, so old robots out, new robots in. Exactly. Huh. So that kind of explains the, uh, the, the history of the entertainment and the company. But hey, this is a show about food. Purportedly. So what about the food? What about it? Well, uh-huh. food and beverages make up about 45% of Chuck E. Cheese and Peter Piper's total sales. So the food is a lure. It's a trap. Wow. Yeah. So what are they serving? Yeah. Besides pizza. Well, the basics are the same worldwide, like creepily the same. Mm-hmm. Okay, I went I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole today. I pulled up the menus from all of their international locations and three locations around the United States, um, specifically one in Massachusetts, one in Boise, Idaho, and the one in Atlanta. And then Chile, Guatemala, Panama, Trinidad and Tobago, Peru, Mexico, and Dubai. And they basically all offer the same things. Like down to the same specialty pizza topping combinations. Wow. I made a spreadsheet. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so categories here. All of them serve wings, some kind of fried potatoes, chicken nuggets, pizzas, sandwiches, salads, desserts, and beverages. You can go essentially anywhere in the world to a Chuck E. Cheese and get the same Italian ciabatta sandwich or the same chicken Caesar wrap. Everywhere except Mexico, Panama, and Chile offer the same barbecue chicken pizza. It has uh, green peppers, crispy onions, chicken, and a barbecue sauce. Mm-hmm. In Chile, they call their all-meat pizza the Americana, which <laughs> cracks me up. I was like, oh. That's what oh. they think about us, huh? Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, just about everywhere except America offers a full coffee slash espresso bar. Atlanta is the only location I checked that specifies that wine is available in addition to beer on their menu, which does seem to be fair, like a very Atlanta thing. It does, yeah. I think most places also offer wine, but... Their online menus say, like, also beer. Right. Get a coffee. But Atlanta. Atlanta is like. We got wine, too. They're like, hey, we, we need you to you. know. <laughs> uh, the Peruvian menu deviated the most. They offer a Hawaiian pizza. Uh, for dessert, there's flan or a marshmallow pizza that's served with ice cream. What is a marshmallow pizza? I don't know. I think it's baked dough that you've covered in marshmallow fluff. I want it. Oh, okay. Trip to Peru. Um, we need to get a kit along the way. Yes. Uh, they, they also, the Peruvian menu specifies that they have local beverages like passion fruit juice mm-hmm. and, uh, chicha morada, which is a spiced purple corn fruit drink beverage thing. Yeah. Um, in Dubai, as an appetizer, you can get camembert bites. That's pretty fancy. It, it is Dubai. It's true. 
Also speaking of food, they also sell dairy products in grocery stores. What? I This is a thing that I never knew. I missed this. But yeah, you can buy Chuck E. Cheese branded string cheese, shredded cheeses, and not one, but four flavors of yogurt in a squeezy tube. Um, they've got strawberry, blueberry, melon berry, and cotton candy. Why, though? What? <laughs> the cheese I get. Melon berry. I want, I want society to just take a moment and think about what they've done. I want someone to explain to me why melon berry yogurt in a squeezy tube relates to Chuck E. Cheese. I just want some kind of clarity, please. Uh, mice like yogurt? All right. The young, healthy, hip mouse likes yogurt in addition to cheese? It's, it's cool to like yogurt. It's okay. cool to like yogurt. Sure, clearly. Yeah, I understand now. <laughs> Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> um, we do have a few other reasons that we think that Chuck E. Cheese is cool, um, and we will get to them after one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. 
So, yes, culture things. It just so happens that right before this, I was watching um, Gravity Falls, and there was an episode making fun of Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) I was like, this is fate. And the the animatronics go crazy and try to kill people. And speaking of that, Five Nights at Freddy's is probably one of the biggest examples of like a cultural Chuck E. Cheese thing. This this is I've never actually played it. I know. It's it's, it's a video game though. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah. a video game and it's pretty short. If you haven't heard of it, it's inspired um by Chuck E. Cheese type restaurants where you're playing a security guard that has to evade malfunctioning animatronics that will kill you. Oh. Yeah, you're you're working oh. at night, you're on the night watch and you only have a limited uh, amount of power to supply you through the night. And you can you look through the security cameras, but that takes power. If you turn oh. on the lights, it takes power. If you close the doors to protect yourself, it takes, it power. takes power. So you kind of have to play a waiting game where they're getting closer and closer. And you have to, like, ration out your power and let them get closer until – Until it's just hopeless and they kill you? Yeah. I, I've never lasted all five nights. Usually Bonnie the Bunny kills me. <laughs> um, I, okay. She's really fast. She's the fastest one. Well, no. There's there's like a secret one too, and oh. he's way faster, but ah. he only comes out randomly. Oh, oh um, that's not better. <laughs> the creator apparently got the idea for this game after he was designing what was supposed to be a kid-friendly game, uh, and he got a lot of complaints about it uh, that the main character that was supposed to be a happy beaver mm-hmm. looked too much like a freaky animatronic that would kill you. This was like a complaint he was getting in his inbox. And he was like, well, I can do that instead. That's interesting, he thought to himself. Uh, Anyway, it's a, it's a great game if you have any interest in like jump scares or I played it at a party before where we turned off the lights and saw it could last the longest because it's pretty, it's fairly short. Uh Um, it's super fun and there are five sequels. I've only played the first one, but, uh, yeah, worth, worth looking into. Got any interest in a scary fun game? Uh, oh. Yeah, I sent Lauren the trailer. Um, I'm trying to get her to play. Oh, uh, I don't know. I might have. I am. My, my ticker's not as good as it used to be. I <laughs> might might have to. Ugh. Uh, h- however, speaking of games, um, there's a great episode of the Freakonomics Radio podcast that goes into the token system that Chuck E. Cheese's arcade games use, and and it it's arguing that this is kids' first exposure to price theory. Oh, really? Price theory being the concept of balancing supply and demand by setting an appropriate price. Um, if you if you lower the price for a good or a service, you can increase demand for it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because more more folks are willing to to pay for it when it's cheaper. Uh, you know, it's why like half a million people bought Lady Gaga's digital album uh, Born This Way during the first two days that it was on the charts. It was priced at ninety nine cents. Yeah. All of a sudden, everyone was like, "Sure, I'll take it yeah. for ninety nine cents. Of course, I'll take it. Yeah. Why not?" But but there was an infinite supply. Of that thing, the interesting thing about price theory is when you bound up against the 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 limits of a supply. Okay, the way that this relates to Chuck E. Cheese, all the games in Chuck E. Cheese locations take a single token to play, and those tokens even out, you know, across like deals and bargains and whatever, to about twenty cents each. And that didn't change from the nineteen seventies through this year. It's oh. been the same price to play a game all of that time. And this was on purpose. Bushnell wanted to keep people playing. They wanted to keep people there, buying mm-hmm. more pizza and soda and beer. Yeah. And, you know, spending more money. So once you're there, it costs essentially nothing to keep playing games. 
And of course, there's going to be a run on a few popular ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but since the price of play is so low, you know, there's always going to be someone who doesn't feel the need to share and just totally camps their favorite cabinet. You know, like that guy at the buffet who, who takes all the crab legs. Yeah, that guy. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the most valuable experience. Um, and if, and it doesn't cost you anything to shut other people out except for, you know, a little piece of your soul. Mm-hmm. Don't be that guy. I don't do it. This brings us to public disturbances. Yes. This was, um, I think the first time Chuck E. Cheese came up in our office, it was because somebody was telling the story of how he, he recently learned that a lot of fights take place at yeah. Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, for, for, for example, in one town in Wisconsin, in 2008 alone, local police had to break up 12 fights among adults at Chuck E. Cheese's. Uh, that's more than any other establishment in the area experienced public disturbance. And in Oaktown, Illinois, outside of Chicago, police responded over the course of five years to over 300 calls and made dozens of arrests. Dozens of arrests? Multiple dozens, more than one dozen. Again, these are adults that are doing the fighting. Um, And and these places tried to make it better. You know, they they reduced crowding on the arcade floors. They stopped serving booze. Um, But the altercations continued. And one economic theorist blamed the low price point of the games for driving demand to explosive levels. Demand was too high. Right? Mm -hmm. Your your kid's been on skee-ball for 25 minutes. I bet skee-ball was quite popular. Pop you right in the kisser. Yeah. Uh, but the data doesn't necessarily bear out to that theory. It's, it's an interesting theory, but when, uh, when Freakonomics looked into the police reports, it seemed like domestic disputes, um, you know, estranged parents showing up at birthday parties and stuff oh, yeah. like that, um, that, th- that was the majority of the problem. And, and furthermore, that, that altercations happen with a similar frequency at other booze and game places like Dave and Buster's. Mm-hmm. Um, it just makes more sensational headlines when it happens at Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. Because it's, because it's Chuck E. Cheese. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, whether price theory is to blame or not, Chuck E. Cheese's are rolling out RFID chip cards that you can, you know, like load up and use for for play around the the arcade floor. I'm sure that you've seen cards like that at yeah. different places, and and that'll allow them to track user behavior and adjust price points on the fly to finagle demand. On the fly, yeah. I'm like having to hold myself back from saying "Wow" one more time because. <laughs> This a lot of this is just my brain cannot process. It's a shockingly cutthroat industry. The the eatertainment rat themed pizza arcade midway place industry. That one <laughs> shockingly cutthroat. Apparently, uh, well, that uh, brings us to the end. Of Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. Um, however, we do have for you some listener mail. We do. April wrote in response to our French cuisine episode, Medieval cooks did not use spices to cover the taste of rotten meat. For one thing, they would have all gotten sick. I'm a medieval reenactor and have done a lot of research on medieval food. Spices in the Middle Ages were like a cross between truffles and sriracha today. They were like truffles because they were so expensive to import and only rich people could afford them. So using spices was a way of showing off how rich you were. They were like sriracha because spices added a new and different taste that made food more exciting. So let's put them in everything. 
A friend who is a chef and also a reenactor pointed out to me that medieval cookbooks tend not to mention certain facts of life that would have been taken for granted. Fresh meat tended to be more seasonal in the Middle Ages, and medieval cooks were more likely to be working with salted meat than fresh. The strong sweet-slash-sour and spice flavors in medieval recipes were intended to balance the saltiness of preserved meat, like the sweet, spicy glazes we put on ham. Oh, yeah. ab- absolutely, April. And thank you so much for, for writing in with that correction. Yeah, that was – I kind of flippantly said that thing in that episode, but – Yeah, and I I just had never considered that, yeah, they probably were already salted. A lot of the meat was probably already salted. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting thing that I had never thought about before. So, yes, thank Ab- you, April. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Chantel also wrote in about our French cuisine episode and said, It reminded me of how this applies to many other areas of French culture. My mother moved to America from France when she was young, so I have a lot of family still living there. My cousin from Dijon visited recently, and while out shopping, she noticed a store named Dog Boutique. She was curious as to why they used the French word boutique instead of shop. I explained that some Americans consider French culture to be a fancy and high class. So by using the word boutique, they're not just a dog shop, but a fancy dog shop. My cousin laughed at the absurdity, but soon came to eat her words. After her visit, she updated her English store sign, which she had in French and English to attract tourists and expats, to include the word boutique, and has said that her English-speaking clientele has grown significantly. While she can't correlate this increase directly to the sign change, I think it's a pretty cool story. And so do we. Yeah, that cracked me up. Yeah. Because I hadn't really considered the use of boutique in the similar way, Shay, oh. for a restaurant, but yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so so I think that's our episode for the day. Uh, if you would also like to get in touch with us. Uh, th- thank you so much to, to, to these fine humans for getting in touch. If you would like to do that too, you can email us. Yes, our email address is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at foodstuffhsw, stands for How Stuff Works. And you can also find us on Instagram at foodstuff. Oh, thanks also as well to our audio engineer, Tristan McNeil. We hope to hear from you, uh, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. 
Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.